Doing good? Everybody survived the storm? Hope so. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, we are in week two of Philippians. Uh, last week, uh, we began walking through this book, and we gave the introduction to it. We did a lot of groundwork, a lot of background work, so that we could really get going in the text. Um, so a quick recap for those of you who were not here. Uh, we actually jumped backwards, and we looked at Acts chapter 15. What was happening in those days was the gospel had begun to explode out of Jerusalem, and the gospel had begun to go all throughout the Roman Empire, and non-Jews were getting saved. And so some people falsely began to teach that in order to be saved, you had to believe in Jesus Christ and follow Jewish customs. And there was a big debate about this. And so the people elected Paul and Barnabas to go to the council in Jerusalem so they could hash all of this out. And through much debate, the council ended up agreeing on essentially what God had already said, that, that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, revealed to us in the word of God alone for God's glory alone. Um, so the council said, yeah, you, you don't have to obey Jewish custom. Now, what that did was it gave a massive explosion to Gentile evangelism and Gentile conversion. Um, and so our boys, Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, they jump on a boat they, they go by land, by sea, and they cross over into Macedonia to spread the gospel, which is modern-day Europe. Um, and so in Acts chapter 16, we meet the very first European convert. Her name was Lydia. She was a wealthy merchant woman. Um, not too long after that, Paul cast a demon out of a demon-possessed girl, and she gets saved. And not too long after that, Paul is imprisoned, but, but God opens up the prison doors. And, and remember the jailers? He's, he's about to kill himself, but, but Paul tells him to stop, and he asks Paul how should he be saved, and he tells him to believe in Christ. And so he gets saved. Saved too. And so we see the core group or the core group of people who planted the church in Philippi was Lydia, this formerly demon-possessed girl, and the Roman jailer, and they plant that church, and that church begins to grow, and the leadership grows, and then Paul leaves that church to go plant more churches, and what that church does is they partner with Paul to financially support his ministry um, over the next several years. And so what we found out was is that 10 years has gone by since the Apostle Paul had planted that church in Philippi. We know he's visited Philippi at least two more times since the writing of this letter, but 10 years has passed and the Apostle Paul is in jail yet again in Rome for preaching the gospel. And so a man named Epaphroditus comes at risk of his very life. We learn that Epaphroditus almost dies bringing Paul provision. And so what the Apostle Paul does is he writes a letter to the church at Philippi to encourage them in the gospel and to remind them of their gospel partnership. So today I have one main idea and I have three points, right? Very strange for me. I know that's weird for me. I'm getting back to my gospel roots and uh, back to my Baptist style of preaching. Please forgive me. Um, so I have one main idea and I have three points today. Um, so I wanna go ahead and give you the main idea. I want us to go ahead and settle into that main idea so we can hurry up and get to the text. Are you guys excited to get to the text? Okay, um, again, it's, it's an honor and a joy, a privilege to be um, your pastor because we have a church that loves the word of God and is excited um, to get into the word of God. That's a part of my great joy and privilege. So here's my main idea for 
today. The gospel affects everything for those who believe it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it affects everything, not some things. It affects everything for those who believe it. It it, it is not a marginalized gospel. It is not a compartmentalized gospel. It's not an add-on gospel. It's not a secondary gospel. It's not a piece of the puzzle. It is the whole puzzle. It's not on the list. It's the center of your list. That that is the gospel. The gospel is all-encompassing, all-comprehensive. It is a holistic gospel for those who believe it. Now, I love the church. I love the church, and I'm going to devote my life to it as long as I have breath in my lungs. I'm going to give my life and myself to the church, to the advancement of the church, because the church proclaims that gospel, okay? Um, And I love the church so much that when there are issues in the church, I believe we must address them and seek to fix them, okay? So here often we will say, The church does this, and and we talk about issues or problems in the church, but never take that as a heart or a sense of dislike for the church. It's actually the opposite. When we address issues in the church, it's because we love it so much and we want to partake in the work of Christ, which is to present his bride without wrinkle or spot or blemish on the day of his return. So our heart is to address issues in the church in order to see those issues taken care of and and eliminated because we love the church so much, okay? So um, here at Gospel Community Church, we never, ever, ever, ever look down our nose at other churches. Um, We we never do that. We, We never have a seat or sense of pride that we're better or we've got it figured out. Our heart and our hope is to say, this is a problem, let's work on it together. We're, we're a body in Christ, okay? So with that said, Here is an issue that's in the church, and I think especially um, in the church in the South, okay? In an effort to make Christianity more marketable, the church has made it an add-on. We have not called people to holiness and held them accountable. We've made it an add-on. We've added it to an already busy schedule. You want to be a follower of Christ? You want to truly, holistically accept the gospel? Well, you know, just maybe show up every now and then on Sunday and maybe just drop a little something in the bucket and you'll be good. You know, just go ahead and add it on to who you are and what you already do. And so the problem has created a thinking that says something like this. The gospel is just an addition to who I am and what I already do, meaning this. I think of myself this way, okay? Um, I'm, I'm a father. Um, I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a mechanic. Uh, I'm a golfer. Oh, and, and I'm a Christian too. Instead of allowing the gospel, instead of allowing your love relationship with Jesus to be the regulator on all of those other things, that the gospel actually invades and affects how I, I, I father. The gospel actually affects and invades how I love my wife. The, the gospel actually invades and has a bearing on my work and my hobbies and all of that. Again, the gospel becomes the center. So, so it's not just a part of who we are. The gospel is actually who we are. We, we are to be a gospel people. In addition, it's not just an add-on to what we do. Well, you know, I wake up in the morning, I I go to work, I go to school, I go to the grocery store, and sometimes I 
go to church or I go to community group or I go to other religious functions. It's just an add-on to what I do. No, if, if the gospel is the center, then you don't just go to work. You're actually a missionary at work. You don't, just, you don't just go to school. You're actually a carrier, a reconciler of the gospel. You're a carrier of the gospel and a reconciler of people to those in your class. So, so when the gospel is the center as it should be, it affects everything. So we don't believe in an add-on. We don't believe in just a compartmentalized gospel. Rather, the people who Um, embrace the fullness of the gospel, see it as a holistic gospel. Amen? Um, So, what's happened in the church, sadly, um, is that we've allowed people to accept Jesus, okay? We've invited them into something without any transformation. You can come here, you can show up, you you can... um, partake in, in what we're giving out. You can enjoy the show, and you don't really have to live a transformed life. You, you just, w- when you leave out of here, just go back to what you were already doing, right? This is just an add-on. And so people, are, our hearts, okay, and, and listen, I, I'm saying we need to watch this. Gospel Community Church needs to watch this. That we're not creating people whose hearts say, I just want a little bit of the gospel, now, now, we'd never say that out loud. <laughs> what I'm saying is we have to protect the hearts of our people from saying, I just want a little bit of the gospel. I just want, okay, look, um, I, I, I want comfort. I don't actually want repentance. I want enough gospel that will give me comfort without actually bringing me to a place of repentance. I want enough gospel so that I'm happy, so that my wife is happy, and so that my kids obey. That's how much gospel I want. I I don't want to accept it holistically because then I might actually cherish self-sacrifice. If I accept the gospel holistically, then I might actually cherish self-denial. And I don't want that much gospel. Do I? I, I don't want to go that far. I don't want to go all the way, right? I, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to be like those crazy people on the side of the road holding signs, do I? I don't want that much. Wait a second. Are, are you advocating holding signs on the side of the road? People who hold signs on the side of the road have not gone too far. They just made a wrong turn. You can never go too far with it. Again, the, the gospel is a holistic gospel. It, it, it's a message that we accept holistically and it comes into and invades every single area of our life and there's no room in our hearts that we say, Jesus, you're not allowed in here. This area is mine. This part of my life is cordoned off. What are you doing in this part of my life, Jesus? You're not supposed to be here in my sex life. You're not supposed to be here in my wallet. You're not supposed to be here in how I raise my children. These areas are cordoned off to you. That, that's not the gospel that the apostle Paul preaches, and, and by God's grace, that's not the gospel that we preach. So, the gospel invades every area of our life. It is a comprehensive, holistic gospel. Today in our text, that's exactly what we're going to see, okay? I want to read verses 1 and 2, 
and I want you to see, in verses one and two, I want you to see the gospel explode off of the page. The, the apostle Paul is bringing the gospel to light in verses one and two, right? Now some of you are saying, wait a second, he doesn't even use the word. He doesn't use the word gospel till he gets to verse five. Okay, wait, wait. His introduction is not to whom it may concern. Paul's introduction is not dear valued customer. His introduction is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I want you to see it explode off of the page here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about Paul and Timothy. We explained who those guys were. In addition, we talked about elders, the overseers. We talked about deacons, okay? We, we walked through that stuff. We talked about Philippi and all of the city background stuff. I want you to look back at it again, and I want you to see him open with the gospel. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. We talked about saints. What are the saints in? The saints are in Christ. The saints are in Christ. Uh, again, don't just brush past this. Don't just run by it. He's showing you a deep theological truth. He, he's bringing you into the theological understanding that believers are one with Christ. We are in Christ. That, that's what he's pointing to. That's what he's alluding to. He's trying to show you something here. He's trying to show you that in a very real way, okay, in a very spiritual way, but in a very real way that we are united with Christ in such a way that everything that he did and earned is now accounted to us. Everything that he said, everything that he did, that on the cross, in a spiritual way, we died with him. And when he resurrected from the grave in a very real spiritual way, we're so united and one with him that we resurrected with him. That, that's what he's getting at. That's what it means to be in Christ, that all of his work is attributed to us, that all of his righteousness is attributed to us, all of his goodness, all of his, everything that he does is attributed to us. Why? Because when we become believers, we are one with him, bound so tightly with Christ that we're in Christ. Romans 6, 3 through 4, we'll say it this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, so water baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change. This is talking about something that happens at salvation, though. So at salvation, we're actually baptized in a spiritual way into his death. Our sin, our shame, our pain, it's all nailed on that cross. And when Jesus gets up out of the grave and comes walking out, we're walking with him because we're in Christ. His victories are our victories. That, that's what that means. So the gospel is that God saves sinners and makes them one with him. <laughs> Paul and Timothy, the servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ, in Christ. 
The, the gospel begins to shine and explode out from these great pages. Again, the gospel is that God saves sinners and makes them one with him. He then follows it up by, by saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's a question. How in the world can sinners be at peace with God? You know you're a sinner, right? <laughs> right? Well, at least you're sure that other people are sinners. You know that much, right? That's why you lock your doors at night. That's why you don't hand your kid off to strangers, because you're sure other people are sinners. But I think if you got really honest with yourself, you would acknowledge, you know what? I mean, I'm not perfect. You know, I've, I've messed up here and there. That means you're a sinner, just like me. The problem is sinners can't be at peace with God. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible for sinners to be at peace with God. This all began in Genesis uh, chapter 3 when man sinned and it broke peace. The word that is used in Genesis is the word shalom, which means peace. It, it, it means an idea of walking in rhythm with God. And so the rhythm that man had with God or the way in which we lived with God was, was harmonious. It was peaceful. You remember how it describes that relationship of Adam and Eve in the garden? It says that, that, that he walked with them in the cool of the day. They, they walked together. There was a, a rhythm, a peace, a shalom that man shared with God. But in Genesis chapter 3, that shalom and peace is broken. It's, it's messed up. It's corroded. Something happens to it when sin enters into the world. So, so how can the Apostle Paul say, peace from God? How, how does that peace come? Well, it comes through grace. That, that's what it said right there. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, grace to you and peace. Who does it come from? It comes from God our Father. How does it come from God our Father? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked. In the beginning, God predestines those whom he would love and he predestines to send his son Jesus. So God the Father sends Jesus. Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that we should have lived. He's empowered by the Spirit to go all the way to the cross, scorning its shame, and he dies the death that we should have died that grace brought peace that's the gospel <laughs> that's the gospel exploding off of the page in the first two verses God the Father sent his only son to die so that we might be given grace and have peace that's the gospel that's the gospel so this church family the, the one in Philippi, this church family we'll learn about over the next 12 weeks, was made possible by the gospel. It was planted by gospel-saved men. It's grown by the gospel, and it is on mission to share that same gospel. Again, we're not talking about a, a type of Christian living that just accepts bits and pieces of a religious system. We're talking about a holistic view of the gospel, that, that we say the fact that I was a sinner, but I am saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that actually sits atop, it sits at the center, and I run everything through that filter. 
The, the fact that I'm a sinner saved by grace invades and comes into how I love my wife, how I raise my daughter, how I view my finances, how I look at sex, alcohol, how I look at the world, how I consume media, what I do on Facebook, what I Twitter, all, everything. The, the gospel sits atop and it sits in the center of everything in my life. The fact that I'm a sinner saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's the comprehensive gospel that the Apostle Paul is promoting. Now, with that said, in the rest of the verses, um, he, he's going to describe things um, that the gospel comes into. He's gonna describe things that the gospel comes into. Opens verse one and two, the gospel. Here it is, God saves sinners by grace alone. He, he explodes that, and, and then he's going to systematically talk about different areas. This lends itself to the three points we will be discussing today, okay? Now, number one, a comprehensive view of the gospel brings unity among believers. Let's see that. We're gonna read verses three and four and five. We're gonna skip six, but we're coming back. And we're gonna read seven through eight, okay? Here we go. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, a comprehensive view of the gospel brings unity among believers. Paul gets to, I want you to get this in your mind, Paul calls himself the Jew of Jews. He, he, this is the title that he gives himself, of the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law, blameless, right? Pharisee, this is who this guy is. He lands in a foreign country with people that he doesn't know and has zero in common with. But, but here, he's talking in a way with deep love and affection for these people. He, he talks about, it's right for me to carry you in my heart. M maybe you have some people that, man, you, you just, they're in your heart. You, you carry them there. They stay there. You, you, you love to think about them because they're just in your heart. You yearn for them with the affections of Christ. They're, they're those type people that sometimes you might not see them for years, but as soon as you see them, it's just like you saw them yesterday. Those type people. That's how he feels about these people he's got nothing in common with. It, it, his, his love for them and his affection for them has nothing to do with affinity, meaning they like the same things. His love and affection for them has nothing to do with history. He's known them for forever. His affection for them has nothing to do with geography. Oh, we grew up in the same place in the same town. His, his love and affection for them has nothing to do with work. Oh, we work side by side, and that's what built our bond. The gospel has invaded these relationships and built a foundation that is unshakable. You see, when I think about my relationships with the people in this church, by God's grace, he has built them on a gospel partnership. I, I think about um, my friend Charles Bird. 
we, we worked side by side at the same job for a while. You know what? We have a greater and stronger foundation than the fact that we just work together. <laughs> I, I, I think about one of my new friends, Wyatt, right? We get together, we talk about building stuff, right? We, we talk about building furniture, and we have a language that you guys would have no idea what we're talking about, right? We're talking about Craig jigs and 10-inch compound sliding miter saws. You guys are like, what? Exactly. We have an affinity there that allows us to be friends. But beyond that, there's something so much deeper than affinity. What's deeper there is an unshakable foundation, which is the gospel. So this is what the gospel invades is their relationships. The result is, he says things like this, I hold you in my heart, or I yearn for you with the affections of Christ. If we put the gospel first, then we can have deep and true relationships. Listen, nothing else is strong enough to hold together such a diversity of people and personalities. I look across the expanse of this room and I see a diversity of people's and personalities, and I know that nothing is strong enough to hold us together other than the power of the gospel, other than a people who come together and say, we are sinners, but we are loved by God. <laughs> that has the enough power to hold us together as a people, and listen, my heart, my heart is that we would grow and grow and grow in diversity. That is my heart. That what we believe is when the gospel really takes root in a city, then the inside of that church looks like the outside of the city. Does that make sense? So we would look at the demographics of our city and say, okay, what does our city look like? Well, actually, the inside of our church should look like that diversity-wise because the gospel has really taken root in this place. Listen, if we are a homogeneous church, meaning we all look the same, if we are a homogeneous church, then our partnership is not in the gospel but in something else. So... We need to grow in diversity, Gospel Community Church. We have lots of young people. I love young people. We need older people. Okay, not old people. I'm not calling you old. We need older people. Okay? We need non-white people. I love you white people. Okay? I'm a white person. I love white people. We need more non-white people um, because... There's a lot of non-white people in our city, and we're not reaching them. We got to fix that. That there's something wrong with our partnership. Again, if if we're looking at the the city, we're looking at man. We, we kind of do have an ethnically diverse city, so that means we should have an ethnically diverse church. We have an a, a difference in or, or a lots of different age groups in our city, that means in the four walls of our church, there should be lots of different ages. And if it's not, it means that we're partnering together on something other than the gospel. And that's scary. We might be partnering together on style. Listen, I'm not interested in that. I, I, I love our music. I, I love the, the, the style that we have, but I'm, not, I'm more interested in partnering in the gospel than partnering in style, okay? Um, so how do we, how do, we do that? Um, I've, I've said from day one, um, practically speaking, how, how, do we, how do we get more diverse? Um, it's gonna begin at your dinner table. 
It's going to begin with the relationships that the people have so that we're building relationships with people who are different than us, older than us, younger than us. We have a diverse friendship. We invite them into our home at our dinner table. We build relationships with them, which gives us the credibility to then bring them into the church. Now, that's practically, foundationally, you have to build a gospel partnership with them. It's not about your affinities. It's not about your history. It's not about, it's about the gospel. That's how we're gonna do that. How, I mean, think about how difficult that's gonna be. <laughs> if, if we have, uh, I mean, the, the old people are gonna hate our music. You know, turn it down, right? So how, how are we gonna meld this whole thing together? How are we gonna get young people and old people, black people and white people? How are we gonna get all these people to come together and worship? We're partnered in the gospel. We're partnered in the gospel. That's how we'll do it. Verse six, let's go back to it. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Wow. (laughs) Okay, a comprehensive view of the gospel For believers means continued life transformation that is rooted in God's promise. I'll do that again. A comprehensive view of the gospel for the believer means continued life transformation that is rooted in God's promise. Here's a promise. He who began the work. Who began the work? God began the work. He who began the work, what work? We'll talk about that. That work that he began, he sees it all the way through. He doesn't give up. He doesn't drop the ball. He doesn't go to sleep at the wheel. He begins the work. He completes the work. What work are we talking about? It is the work of the Holy Spirit of turning stone-dead people into living, loving replicas of Jesus. That's the work. It begins with a stone-dead heart. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. It begins with a stone-dead heart that God comes in and he does a work. He takes a stone-dead heart and he, he inputs or implants a heart of flesh, a beating heart that loves God. That's how people are saved. And that work that he begins, he stays with it all the way till the end. So some will ask, can you lose your salvation? I think that's the wrong question. The question is, can God lose a Christian? (laughs) The answer on that is no, no. God can't lose a Christian. Um, John tells us, right, in in, in the book of John, that, that he holds us in his hands, that no one can snatch us out of his hand. So it's not a question of, can we lose our salvation? That's not the right question. The right question is, can God lose a Christian? And the answer is no, no. He he never lets us out of his hands. This here is talking more specifically um, about the process of sanctification, okay? Meaning that when we say sanctification, that's a real fancy word for day by day becoming more and more like Jesus, okay? That's what that word means, sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Day by day, becoming more and more like Jesus. Sometimes it feels like 13 steps forward and 100 steps back, right? But it it is a a progression towards being like Christ. So what he's saying here is that work, 
He, he saved you and the work of making you more and more like Jesus, he's gonna see it through all the way, all the way till the end. From start to finish, salvation is a gift of God's undeserved grace. He is the one that starts the work and he is the one that finishes the work. Romans 8.30 will say it like this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. So he's the one that does the predestining or the electing. After that, he's the one that does the calling. Okay, so we're still in a work that God does. And those whom he called, he also justified. He's the one that does the justifying. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the very end of the road. He's the one that starts the work. He's the one that completes the work all the way through our lives. Now we're entering into a very curious question, okay? So if God is the one who does all the work, he saves me and he helps me grow in him, all the way till the day he returns or I die, does that mean I get to take a nap? <laughs> does that mean I don't need to work for and from my relationship with him? Is that what you're saying, Pastor Kirk? Right, so why am I even here? Why am I listening to you preach a sermon? If he's gonna grow me, I should be at home, right? Okay, no. Um, let's talk about two common viewpoints. And, and I want you to ask yourself, which one of these am I? Okay, so I'm gonna describe two types of people and, and I want you to ask yourself, which one am I? Which one do I tend towards? Um, and, and then I'm gonna try to land the plane somewhere in the middle. Okay, first type of person, I'll call him do-it-yourself Dan. Do-it-yourself Dan, or equal opportunity, do-it-yourself Danielle, okay? So do-it-yourself Dan, his motto is God helps those who help themselves, how does do-it-yourself Dan grow in Christ? Determination. If he's struggling with the sin, he will get a rubber band and he will put it around his wrist. And anytime he is tempted to do that sin, he will pop himself. He is, he is determined to defeat sin and kill sin. When he's struggling, what he'll do is he will go into lockdown white knuckle mode. I'm not gonna sin, I'm not gonna sin, I'm not gonna sin. I'm gonna, if I'm tempted, I'm gonna read my Bible for 30 hours. I'm gonna fast for 40 days because that's what Jesus did, right? He, he's gonna do whatever it takes. He's just gonna white knuckle it and persevere and push through so that God will love him and so that God will accept him. He's not gonna ask for help. He's not gonna cry out to anybody and, and he's certainly not gonna let the Lord know he's weak. What he's gonna do is he's just gonna push right on through. That's do it yourself, Dan. That's how he grows in the Lord. That's how he's completed all the way to the finish and is ultimately glorified on the last day. That's do it yourself, Dan, okay? Is, is that anybody in here? Anybody brave enough to raise your hand? Probably not. I'll raise my hand on that one. Okay, so some of you are do-it-yourself Dans. Here's the problem with do-it-yourself Dan or do-it-yourself Danielle. Two problems. One, when he actually does defeat his sin, his heart is not changed, so sin continues to man manifest itself just in a different form. So do it yourself, Dan will, he's trying to get through the Christian life and he's trying just to white knuckle it and not sin anymore. And so he gives up pornography but enters into excessive drinking. She quits spending way too much money and, and running her family into debt at the shopping mall but then gives that up and moves into gossip. 
That's what often happens with that type of, I'm just gonna get the Christian life done on my own, is we, we stop one sin but just substitute it for another. Why? Because there's been no real heart transformation. Here's the other problem. The other problem is do-it-yourself Dan or do-it-yourself Danielle's view of growing in the Lord often leads to pride or despair. I defeated my sin. Look at how awesome I did. <laughs> well, everybody should be proud of me. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna write a book, 10 Easy Ways to Defeat This Sin, because I did it. At least to pride. Or do-it-yourself Dan doesn't actually do it and he's left in despair. I'm always gonna be a sinner. I'm never gonna figure this thing out. Why would God ever love me? I hate myself. This is dumb. I'm gonna give up on the whole thing. So that type of just white-knuckling your Christianity and doing everything you can to not do this sin, it, it leads to either you're just gonna manifest in a different sin or it's gonna lead to pride or despair. That's do-it-yourself, Dan. What about laid-back Lloyd? Okay, Laid-back Lloyd or laid-back Lisa, equal opportunity. Laid-back Lloyd, his motto is let go and let God. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to his growth in the Lord, when it comes to him having a vital spiritual life and, 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 and continually growing to be more and more like Jesus, he just, you know, hey, let go and let God. You know, I'll show up to church sometimes or heck, I might even sleep in, but hey, I'll watch something on TV. You know, I'll turn on TV in for a while. You know, um, you know I, I occasionally might glance through the Bible, you know, really only the Psalms that make me feel real good, um, you know, but I'm not really going to, laid back Lloyd isn't really going to have a heart that wars against sin. As a matter of fact, laid back Lloyd would almost see that as kind of too religious. He, he's not, he wouldn't do that sort of thing. He's laid back Lloyd. If, if laid back Lloyd is going to change, he just expects Jesus himself to show up and do it all right? If, if he wants me to change, he'll come in and he'll just take it away from me, right? If he wants me to quit drinking, getting drunk, he'll, he'll show up and snatch the Jack Daniels right out of my hand. That's what Jesus will do, okay? That, that's laid-back Lloyd's attitude. Here's the problem with how laid-back Lloyd uh, views or approaches his walk with the Lord. Number one, he minimizes sin, which leads to corrosive and destructive path. Laid back Lloyd says, hey, you know what? So what? I, occasionally I look at pornography. It's not that big a deal. Every guy does it. You know, occasionally I get irritated and I lose my temper with my wife, but hey, I'm human. He, he minimizes sin, which leads to a corrosive, slowly corroding and, and a destructive path, okay, because he minimizes sin. Here's also another problem with laid back Lloyd. He cannot help anyone else because he cannot challenge anyone to the practices of Christian disciplines that he himself is not engaged in. He can't help, laid back Lloyd can't help anybody. He can't challenge anybody. Hey man, I just really wanna press you, man. Get into God's word. I really wanna challenge you, pray about that. Laid back Lloyd can't say that because he's not doing it. He can't help anybody, right? So what, let's, let's try to find something in the middle. Let's try to join these um, two realities together. Here's what you need to know. The fact that God is sovereign over the process of our progressive sanctification does not mean that we are passive in it. 
Okay? So the fact that God is sovereign over it doesn't mean that we're passive in it. Let me give you a text that's going to help us with this. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be talking about this in the coming weeks, but I just want to read this so you see it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. I want you to see these two things joined tightly together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen to this. Work out your own salvation hmm. with fear and trembling. Now, now watch this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <laughs> okay, so for those of you in the room who are black and white thinkers, you're, you're going, oh, oh, what's happening? Okay, I'm gonna ask the question and answer it for you. Does God do the changing or do I need to work for change? Here's the answer. Yes, that's the answer, okay? For you black and white thinkers, I apologize, okay? That's how it goes. God is sovereign over the process of seeing you grow in maturity. If he saved you, he's not gonna leave you out. He's not gonna forget you. He's not gonna forsake you. He's gonna carry you along, kicking and screaming if he has to. He's gonna carry you along so that day by day you are becoming more and more like Christ and you need to enter into that process by being a student of your Bible, regularly attending church services, listening to God's word being preached, entering into a Christian community, attending a community group, regularly fasting, regularly praying, regularly confessing and repenting sin, um, asking yourself constantly, am I loving something more than I'm loving Jesus? Asking those around you to look into your life and, and, and call you out on sin. That's your part in progressive sanctification. Amen? What this should do is it should humble you greatly. The fact that it's all God's work should bring you to your knees. That any victory you've had over sin in your life, God did that. That any spiritual growth, God did that. Anytime you open up God's word and you go, I get it, I understand that, God did that. Anytime you're brought to your knees in prayer and you open up your arms and you call out to him for help, God did that. That's his work. And so no one, no one gets to look down their nose at anybody else for not being as spiritually mature as you are. Nobody gets to do that. Why? Because it's God's work. So the fact that God begins it and completes it makes us humble. But it also is an encouragement to you it should be an encouragement to you. Does anybody in here feel spiritually stuck? You just, you just feel stuck like there's something stagnant in your relationship with the Lord and you're just not moving forward. You just, you just feel like, God, where are you? What are you doing? This should be an encouragement to you because if he started the work, he's gonna finish the work. This is his promise. And listen, believers, listen. You don't have to live envying someone else's walk with the Lord. God, he is so spiritual. Have you heard him pray? Huh. I mean, have you seen, have you, have you heard this guy talk about the Bible? Have you heard this guy talk about his love relationship with the Lord? I wish I had that. You, you don't have to live with spiritual envy for other people. Why? Because the Lord is at work in you. He's at work in you. So we should be incredibly humbled and we should be incredibly encouraged 
what this text is saying in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Do work because God is at work. Okay? Do work because God is at work. Right? So we can be encouraged in that. The great news about the ultimate completion of this work is that it ends with resurrection bodies and the total abolition of sin. Look back at verse six again. I I just wanna show you how this whole thing ends, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, meaning your salvation, he will bring it to completion, meaning all throughout your life, day by day, the Lord is at work, so work with him. Bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the great day when the clouds are... And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be true and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Number three and my last point, a comprehensive view of the gospel brings us to pray for gospel transformation. A comprehensive view of the gospel, an idea that this great news that Jesus has saved me, that pushes us to or brings us to a place to where we pray for that same gospel. How's this? Is that better? Okay, cool. Old school. Can I run with this? Is there stomping involved? Can I do that? Okay, cool. So, A, he prays for love to abound. Look back at that, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, he doesn't indicate what that love is or what it's directed towards. He doesn't say that. I just want your love to abound. Okay, abound to what? Um, Abound towards God? Abound towards people? Christian people? Abound towards lost people? I I think he intentionally leaves it unanswered. I want your love to abound 
everywhere. I, I want you to first and foremost love God, that, that your love for him would grow and grow and grow because when that happens, what's the result of that? Well, you love people. You love, you love Christians. You love believers because God loves Christians and believers because God loves the people in the church. You now start loving people in the church and then the church's mission is to love lost people. So a love for God grows your love for the church and grows your love for lost people. So when you don't love God's people and lost people, it's a sign that there is an issue with your affections for Christ. So he, he prays, man, let, let these people, let the people in Philippi, let them just love God so much that it spills out over into love for one another. He's kind of winking or, or, or pointing back to that gospel partnership he opened up with that their love would abound towards each other, love would abound for God, love would abound towards each other, and love would abound for the lost. He continues to pray in this way. He prays that we would have knowledge, okay? Now, here's what's really interesting, especially in Christian circles. A lot of times, the people who have the knowledge, the seminarians, uh, the people who sit in their high theological ivory towers aren't really associated with being loving. <laughs> They're cold and systematic and theological, okay? Um, and the people who are not highly trained theologians, they're the ones that are really loving. They're the ones who are up underneath the bridge uh, giving coats to the homeless. They're the ones who are getting on planes and flying to foreign countries and loving and serving people. Not, not the, the, you know, smart seminarians, right? Listen, the Apostle Paul would never understand that distinction. The Apostle Paul's heart is that we would have giant hearts of love and giant brains of theology. That's what the Apostle Paul wants for his believers, okay? He, he wants for the people in Philippi to have this deep, abiding love for God, love for the church, love for lost people, a love that is so deep, so rich, so foundationed in the gospel, but also people with big, giant, theologically, systematically trained brains, that understand God and, and are reaching to understand and search the depths of who he is. He prays that we would have knowledge. In addition, he prays for discernment. That's, that's the outworking of the knowledge. Okay? You, you can have all the love in the world. You can have all the knowledge in the world. But if you don't put it into practice, it doesn't mean very much. Okay? So he, he wants you to have giant hearts of love. He wants you to have giant brains that, that read big, thick books about who he is. He also wants you to then put that into practice. He, he prays for discernment. Result one of that is that he prays for pure and blameless lives or a holy life. Did you see that? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. This is what he's, he's praying that, a giant heart full of love, a giant brain full of theology, that put into practice leads to what? A pure and blameless life, a holy life. That's what God is calling us to, to be holy and set apart. And the culmination of that whole thing is the very end, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. That's what happens. That's the ultimate result. Did you see that progression? 
Look back at it, okay? That that's the progression of it, that we would be people abounding in love, hearts bursting with love for each other, hearts bursting with love for God, hearts bursting with love for the lost, giant brains bursting with theology, right? We, we, we know the hypostatic union, penal substitutionary atonement, right? We, we know it. We know it. We know big theological terms, and we're actually putting that into practice Right, which is leading to a holy and pure life. And the ultimate culmination and result is that God himself gets glory from the church in Philippi. That's the Apostle Paul's prayer. And listen, that's my prayer for this church. Over the, the two vision nights that we did where we gathered together and, and we said, look, this is what we want to do as a church in 2014. Um, we said, I want you guys to pray this prayer. Pray that God would do something so big that, that we could only attribute it to him. It, it's only God. We, we can only attribute it to him, right? Why would we ask to pray such a prayer? Because we want God to get glory. At the heart and the root of who we are as a church, my prayer for you is that the heart and the root of who you are as a people would be to bring God honor and glory that my life, my words, my meditations, my marriage, all of it would pay homage. It would give glory to God. Now, that prayer that he prays sounds impossible, doesn't it? To, to really, really genuinely love people. Does anybody else find that difficult? Does anybody else find it really difficult to love lost people? Okay, okay, it's hard enough to love people in the church, but it, at least they're Christians and you've got that in common. But now you've got to love lost people. I mean, they're total pagans. They don't act like us. They don't talk like They do things that embarrass you sometimes. You know, they terrible language. They're just like, oh, that's, you know. They, they do things that embarrass you. They, they, especially when they're around your other Christian friends, you're like, hey, calm down. You know? so, so it's hard to love people in the church. It's hard to love lost people. It, it's hard to understand the deep things of God. It, it's hard to live a pure and blameless life. It's hard to orient your life in such a way that God gets glory. The, the question is, how in the world are we going to do all this stuff? It sounds impossible. Let me close with verse 6 again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you're holy, you are mighty and strong. Um, you're good to us. <laughs> you, you came to save us. You give us the great news that though we're sinners, we can be saved by grace. God, we're thankful for this great gospel. I, I pray for a people um, who would be holistically transformed by the gospel. I pray that we would have a comprehensive view of the gospel that leads to deep gospel partnerships in the church, resulting in big hearts big hearts that love each other and big brains that, that know about you and know your word. Father, I pray that we would take that word and we would put it into practice. And God, ultimately, that, that you would get glory. God, I know that we can grow a big church and we can have lots of people and multiple services and multiple campuses and you still won't get glory from that unless 
there is real gospel transformation. So God, we're asking you, we're asking you to do something so big that we can only attribute to you so that you would get your rightful glory. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.